0: You're listening to the Friday Morning Podcast with hosts Bill Ballinger and Dennis Denno Discussing Michigan politics and political history, the Friday Morning Podcast has you covered. Hey Bill, before we go to our guest, let's talk a little bit about our partner, DeadlineDetroit.com. Well, Deadline Detroit is a one-stop online news site that aggregates the best stories from local, national, and international media about... Metro Detroit. It also produces original reporting and provides commentary from top-rate local journalists. Great. Now let's go to our guest. And with me now is Helena Scott. She's a Democrat running in the 7th State House District. Welcome to the Friday Morning Podcast. Helena Scott.
1: Well, thank you, Dennis. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Yeah, thank you. So you won your Democratic primary Very convincingly, you had six other Democratic candidates running against you, and you got uh, on basically 37% of the vote. You crushed your uh, person who came in second place. Let's talk a little bit about your campaign really quick. Uh, What what was the secret to your success?
1: Well, uh, hitting the doors. I mean, and I know it was a very different situation in the midst of COVID, but... You know, just really going out and doing a lot of lit dropping, and if people were out, I took the opportunity to talk to them um, if they felt comfortable doing that. But I did a lot of lit dropping and really just uh, canvassed my area, dropping literature, and also... Phone banking. I talked to a lot of seniors. I talked to you know a lot of residents in my community, just explaining, you know, who I who I was and what my platform is, and and listening to some some of their interests and concerns as well and what they want for the district.
0: So I'm curious, what did you hear from voters about uh, your district, and what do they want?
1: Okay. Well, you know, we have a lot of new people that are moving into our community, a lot of younger people with kids, and so education is a priority for them. Um, I know that, you know, I'm also passionate about improving education. What I want to do when I get to the State House is I want to fight for the interests of our children. I want to make sure that they have a quality preschool through uh, K-12 education, and I want to make sure that, that they have the opportunity to attend an affordable college. So what I want to do is work on legislation that's going to advocate for students to get the tools and resources that they need to excel and strive in school and at home. And we know in the midst of COVID, now that children are learning from home, a lot of them are, that they really aren't prepared to learn from home. So i really like to advocate for um, uh, technology and equipment and Wi-Fi in their homes. And I want to advocate um, to really for more funding and the budget for education.
0: Because so you know,
1: we know that we've gone through a lot of cuts since 2011 um, during the Snyder years. And we, we really need to really um, really increase funding in education. I know that's going to be difficult because we're going to be working at a deficit with the budget due to COVID. Um, so it puts an entirely new spin on things. But I'm, I'm really an advocate and proponent of education. I, myself, was raised by an educator. My, my mother was a third grade teacher. Oh, wow. So education is... You know, that's, that's a passion of mine, and it's important to me. And I have two young adult kids myself that, you know, we educated as well, and um, I know that education is the front line really to equity. You know, and if we don't have our kids educated early on, they're not going to be prepared for the workforce. So I know that that's important, and I know that people moving into this district want to make sure that there are quality schools and a quality educational program for their kids.
0: In the city of Detroit. Yeah, so you mentioned Governor Rick Snyder and you were critical of the funding cuts uh, to education under his administration. How would you rate uh, Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer and how would you rate the Trump administration and uh, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos and their job in dealing with education?
1: Well, I know that Gretchen is – education is important to her, you know, and and I respect that, and I I agree with that. Uh, Sadly, um, I don't agree with what Betsy DeVos is doing. You know, I know that um, she wants to introduce the voucher program um, to me that's taking our dollars out of this community and giving people the option to take those tax dollars someplace else. Um, She's advocating for charter schools. A lot of charter schools don't have the criteria um, and the standards put in place um, that are needed for those kids to succeed. So if we can really monitor and set standards for those charter schools, you know, then maybe. But at this time, you know, I don't think those standards are being set. So I I oppose the fact that um, they want to take some of these funding dollars that we paid in tax dollars others sitting in and allow them to take it other places so you know I, I think that we need to provide more services for our children in regards to education we need to provide more wraparound services we have a third grade reading law right now that a lot of those kids aren't going to be meeting that requirement and are going to be held back and I think that's unfair
0: So let's talk about that third grade uh, reading requirement. I think it's really interesting that you you said that it's unfair. So do you think it's unfair that they're going to be held back a year, or do you think – what part of it is unfair to you?
1: Um, Well, I think the fact that we have kids that are not going to be able to – really master reading you know we need to make sure that all kids are able to succeed I, I think we need to set a standard and I think that's good um, but we need to make sure that our kids are able to succeed and you know and if we don't give them the tools necessary not every home has the ability um, to make sure the kids are prepared at home for school. You know, we have a lot of families that are working. Um, so we need to make sure that we are providing tutors and wraparound services for kids that maybe are not at grade level. You know, and now that we have this third grade reading law, a lot of kids are going to be held back. You know, so being um, the, the daughter of an educator, I know that every school classroom is not the same. You're going to have some kids that are going to be uh, You know, more advanced than others. So, we want to make sure that we are providing tutors for those children so they are able to succeed and actually meet the third grade reading requirements so that they can be passed on to fourth grade.
0: And so, is that tutor, uh, are those tutors something that you are going to be advocating that the state helps pay for uh, when you become a legislator?
1: Yeah, I agree. I think we need to provide, develop funding and resources for after-school programs, um, supplemental educational tutors for reading and math. We also know that the arts have been really deplenished in our school. We need to really, um, as I would love to advocate, for a lot of those programs to come back. I think it's critical that we also provide funding for meals for children in addition to the needs for transportation to school. We have a lot of kids out here that are catching the bus. You know, and they may not be making it to school or they're making it to school late. We have a lot of families out here that are hurting um, that really don't have, um, you know, the the resources that, let's say, maybe some of our suburban schools have. You know, they have busing in the suburbs, but our kids are having to get on, you know, public transportation that may not come on time, that they might get to school late. So, yes, I am going to be advocating for increased funding for a lot of those families.
0: So is it safe to assume when you become a state rep, and you most likely will be a state rep because you represent a very Democratic House district, uh, and, and uh, there's there's very little chance your Republican opponent's going to win that seat, so when you become a state rep, uh, is it safe to assume you want to be on the Education Committee, or are there other committees you're eyeing?
1: No, yeah, it is safe to assume that I want to be on education, absolutely. Um, I've also been the Community Liaison for State Representative uh, Latanya Garrett, um, I'm interested in health policy. There's some things that she would like to pass on to me in regards to health policy. Uh, so that is one of the, another committee that I'm interested in being a part of.
0: So as a former House and Senate staffer, I'm really impressed that you were a former staffer in the Michigan legislature. And I'm kind of curious, do you feel that's going to give you a, a leg up uh, when you become a state rep? And if so, how is that going to help?
1: It gives me a a sense of comfort for me because, I, like I said, I I was her community liaison. I had the opportunity to go to her committee meetings. I've been in Lansing. I definitely, part of my schedule was to be in Lansing at least two days a week. So um, her committee uh, meetings, I definitely got an opportunity to attend. Um, I, you know, am familiar with the other reps. Um, some that are outgoing, a lot of them that will still be there. So I I have a comfort level. I don't know if that's necessarily a leg up, but for me, I may not have that sense of panic that maybe some of the other new reps coming in and the unknown because I have some familiarity with the staff and how the the flow of the routine goes in in
0: the state house. So something that interests me about District 7 is that you not only will represent part of the city of Detroit, but you're also going to represent the city of Highland Park. So do those two communities have the same struggles and the same success stories, or are they pretty different?
1: Um, I think they have some similarities, and they also have some differences. Um, I know that um, Highland Park is struggling with infrastructure with water. Um, I know that um, you know, they're trying to rebuild Highland Park with businesses, And and things of that nature, and I definitely will be advocating on their behalf for those things. Um, I know, you know, like I said earlier about water, um, there's a concern with, you know, the infrastructure and the pipes, and all those things need to be replaced. And so I'll definitely be working in conjunction with. Uh, the uh, not only myself, but with the Adam Holier, who is the state senator in that district, and also Rashida Tlaib, to see what we can do to help assist and make sure that Highland Park's needs are met.
0: So let me ask you a controversial question, and I, I apologize in advance if this is not an appropriate question to ask. But in this day and age, does it make sense for Highland Park to be its own? Community. I mean, Highland Park has some great neighborhoods. It has its significant struggles. Um, Does it make sense in this day and age for Highland Park to be its own independent city? Or does it make sense to maybe merge it with the city of Detroit?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, when you speak to the... I don't know if that's a decision for me to make. When you you talk to the citizens in Highland Park, that's a very proud community. And they have a, a very rich heritage. And they they appreciate being their own standalone community, and I really feel that that's what they probably want to continue to be. Um, and yeah, they have some challenges. And as their state representative, I plan on working with them to help you know overcome some of those challenges. Um, but if, if, I'm sure if you talk to the citizens in Highland Park, they want to continue to be their own standalone city. I don't think anybody in Highland Park wants to merge with Detroit. However, they do realize that they should partner with Detroit to maybe gain some resources. So that, yeah, I think they, they, they want to be their own standalone city.
0: Sounds like a resounding no from the future state rep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, again, as the state rep, I have to listen to the needs and concerns of the citizens. It's not my decision, you know. <laughs> I am their voice in Lansing. So just listening to them. They love their city. They're proud of their city. They have a rich heritage in Highland Park. And I think that needs to be celebrated. And I think that um, they, they want more development there in Highland Park. So yeah, well, I'm definitely a proponent of, of helping Highland
0: Park. So let's talk a little bit more about Helena Scott. First off, you come from, I, I guess for lack of a better phrase, Detroit political royalty, don't you?
1: <laughs> yes. I guess you could say that. Um, my sister in law was former Pro Tem uh, Detroit City Council member Brenda Scott, um, who was passionate about protecting the rights of labor and workers during her tenure on Detroit City Council from 1994 to 2002, um, which was at the time of her death. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of people, she's been beloved. You know, as, you know, when I've been running prior, I ran prior in a couple of races, you know, people were asking, are you related to Brenda? And I'm like, yes, I am. And so she's much beloved in the city of Detroit, and oddly enough, outside of the city as well. So she served a long time. She worked tire- tirelessly for the citizens, and she's well remembered for that. So yeah, I'm proud to continue the Scott legacy um, in the state house.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I I when I would drive through Detroit, even after years after her passing, I would still see signs. Uh, Brenda Brenda Scott signed, oh, yeah. yeah. So she she definitely had yeah. had a strong following, and a lot of people in the city uh, really did love her. So let's let's talk let's talk a little bit more about Helena Scott. So you are very active with the labor movement, right?
1: Right, exactly. So my parents both ignited my commitment to the labor movement. My mom was a Detroit public school teacher for third grade. My dad was a construction laborer. Um, so, yeah, I, I've worked as an organizer um, for Southeast Michigan Jobs with Justice, one of their lead organizers. And Southeast Michigan Jobs with Justice is a unity coalition of over 70 union labor union labor and community faith-based organizations. Um, more recently, I've been involved in the One Fair Wage program to, you know, get that ballot initiative going um, that sadly was really um, overturned during Lane duck but I really collected over 5,000 signatures in order to get that on the ballot to raise the minimum wage for restaurant and tip workers. So, yeah, I've been very active um, with organizing and social justice issues, and I'm going to continue that spirit of that and take it to the State House.
0: That's awesome. Let's talk about one fair wage. I, uh, I'm a big proponent. I, uh, find tipping to be something pretty, that's pretty antiquated. And I, I, I would support businesses that would just pay people a fair wage. Right. But I've heard the other side of the story where I've heard some people say, you know what, I make more money getting with tips than I do if I was to get minimum wage. What would be your response to that?
1: Well, you know, you probably are talking to people that are maybe working in higher-end restaurants. If you're talking to people that are working maybe in lower-end restaurants, you probably won't get that same response. You know, um, sadly, they have to live for their tips. They're not making minimum wage. And and there was a time that I didn't realize that either. You know, not everybody makes the minimum wage. Um, There's a substandard minimum wage of, uh, like, less than four dollars an hour three dollars an hour and that's what these people are living on in in addition to their tips so it's unfair so that was the whole premise of one fair wage to make sure that they had a they made a living wage you know and they wouldn't have to survive just off of their tip that they could have a standard rate of pay so that they could sustain their families and quite frankly um, $12 an hour which is what that proposal was about really wasn't enough, but it's much better than making $3.60 an hour, you know. So, you know, I live for the day that everybody can make a living wage, and at that point, you know, people will be able to sustain themselves and really care for their families. Sadly, a lot of tip workers are single moms raising families by themselves, and it's no way that they can survive on 3 or $4 an hour in tip. It's just a travesty.
0: All right. Well, Helena Scott, Democratic candidate for the 7th House District, thank you for being on the Friday Morning Podcast.
1: Okay. Well, it was my pleasure. I appreciate you asking me to do the interview.
0: And that's it for another edition of the Friday Morning Podcast, located at theballingerreport.com and at dentalresearch.com. And we'd like to give a special Friday Morning Podcast thanks to the band, Little American (laughs) Champ for the music of this podcast.